Hello, and welcome to the International Sonography Podcast, the podcast all about the occupation of diagnostic medical ultrasound all over the globe. I'm your host, Jamie Fujikawa. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the International Sonography Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Fujikawa. With me, as always, is Lorinda Andrist. And today, we have a guest on the show, Dr. Joy Guthrie. Dr. Guthrie is an assistant professor of medicine at UCSF Fresno in echocardiography. She's registered in all 10 specialty areas offered by the ARDMS, and she recently passed the ACS credentialing exam, which is the Advanced Cardiac Sonographer exam offered by CCI. She has 16 years of consecutive teaching experience for two KHEP-accredited diagnostic medical sonography programs and 30 years of a clinical experience and currently serves as the advanced practice sonographer at Community Regional Medical Center in Fresno, responsible for all the technical oversight of all sonography services. Dr. Guthrie has a PhD in public health epidemiology and a doctorate of health sciences. She's also a past president of the SDMS and has over 100 sonography program graduates out there today. Please welcome to the show, Mrs. Joy Guthrie. One of my first questions for you was where you've grown up and uh, what was your childhood like? I was born in Texas and uh, we moved out to California when I was about five or six. Um, my early childhood was great up till about 11, and then my mom had a pretty serious injury at her job, and um, they found out through that process, uh, she went up to Stanford, and um, she had a pre-existing ankylosing spondylitis, and so they didn't pay for any, They even though it was an injury, they didn't pay any of her medical bills, and uh, so our our class as a family went from middle class pretty much down to poverty. And, and uh, so, so my sister and I kind of took over the household since then. And um, so we grew up fast, but we had a lot of love in the family and uh, we did okay. How was your high school experience and what led you to the path and field of sonography? Oh, my high school was fine. Um, I played, um, you know, I was a, a above average student, didn't really apply myself because I love sports and love music, um, but I uh, had a great high school career. And uh, so none of that was the pathway for sonography. <laughs> <laughs> so leaning into that, tell us how you did get into sonography. And did you start out in something else in college and then kind of deviate? Yeah, I started out in entomology in college. My my father was an entomologist, and I fig- it didn't take very long to f- figure out that plants weren't was not my passion. <laughs> so actually, I um, I went to Fresno State. Uh, I was on a softball scholarship, but the, back then it was right when Title IX went through, and uh, the, the amount of funds that you got as a female athlete versus a, a male a- athlete was not enough to. Basically, I ran out of money, so I had to I had to quit college. Uh, got married, and had a couple kids, and um, I was an EMT, and I wanted to be a paramedic. But I had at the time I had two little boys, and uh, the hours for that was not uh, did not work well for a young mother. Uh, so I went to medical assisting school, and at the end of that. I um, I asked for a job. I had to work for a month for free for an obstetrician. At the end of the month, I asked for a job, 
And he said, no. And I said, wow, I learned everything so quickly. What's wrong? I really need a job. And he said uh, that he didn't feel like I would ever be satisfied as a medical assistant, that he knew someone in Merced that taught private ultrasound lessons, and he thought I would be very good. And so I met uh, Linda Pitts, and um, she was an entrepreneur before her time, very skilled sonographer. And um, it was uh, $900 to get her training. And um, I didn't have $900. So I said, what could I do in the middle of winter to to gain $900? So I took my kid's red wagon and I went and I painted the Christmas uh, windows for two towns, oh. got the $900. And that was my entry to practice. <laughs> That is awesome. That's such a great story. Well, first of all, when one door closed right. from me, he saw more in you and said, no, nope, I got to open another door. Right. And yeah. To be able to get her training with such passion. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you work that hard for something, you're definitely going to go for it. You bet. That's so awesome. how did that experience evolve? I'm assuming you were doing didactic and clinical. And I know at some point you went into cardiac, but where did you start out and how did that flower grow, so to speak? Um, well, in the, in the diagnostic center, um, where, well, basically there, I did the three months and there wasn't a job um, in sonography. She told me I had to go through the x-ray program or I would never be hired in a hospital. Um, we didn't have any ultrasound programs in Central California. So I, I got into the x-ray program, um, but there was an opening in the diagnostic center where she worked as a transcriptionist and a receptionist. And, she, and I just wanted to be that close to sonography. There was no way I wasn't going to work there. She said, can you be a receptionist? Yes. Can you be a transcriber? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I, I, smuggled, my fire. I smuggled the transcription machine home in my car and stayed up all night telling my husband to read magazines as fast as possible. I took it back in the next morning and I was a transcriber. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and um, sure enough, three months later, there was an opening in the, one of the sonographers quit and I had more experience than anyone else. And I got in there when I was going through the x-ray program. They did all, all of the types of ultrasound there. Um, but the sonographer that worked there did not want me to learn echo and carotids, which, of course, was what I saw I wanted to do. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me that so yeah. far hearing about you're, you're going to go after that one, right? Yeah. So I asked, the big, <laughs> I asked the big boss if I could practice on my classmates after work. And I basically taught myself echo. And, um, and then I asked, I asked her to, if she could see me, you know, do one in front of her. And uh, what I didn't know was there was this little extortion thing of the other sonographer with her where she would come in and say, you know, if you don't give me a raise, I, you know, I, I'm going to go because I'm the only one that can do this. And I didn't know that, of course. And so I, I showed the big boss and the big boss immediately said, tomorrow, Joy's doing echoes and vascular. And um, the person locked me, physically locked me out of the sonography laboratory for three days when the big boss went on vacation. <laughs> and I sat there for three days outside like a puppy dog. And then on the third day, I, um, 
I, I didn't say anything. I just, I just said, you know, someday, which is going to take years and years, I'll be smart enough to help someone else. And absolutely, it, if that day ever comes, you know, I'll remember this day, you know? So it was really a, that's such a taking the high road moment. Right? So, so when we got, she got back anyway, it ended up, we figured it out and we, I got to do echoes, but uh, it was, yeah, it was, it's nice to be a monopoly until everybody find, else finds out that you're keeping it that way. Yeah, <laughs> so. a little trying, but we, we made it happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. So tell so what are your credentials that you have gained within your career as a sonographer? Um, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Don't you have all of them, Joy? Yeah. Uh, it, well, well, maybe we should just work backwards. Is there any credential that you have never obtained? Uh, I believe the musculoskeletal. Okay. All right. Wow. Well, that's impressive then. <laughs> that is your only one. Well, have you ever seen that movie Joy on a total side note? I have. You remind me of that movie. Like, and it's funny that she shares your name. Like, she's just like, oh, okay. Hmm, that door's shut. Um, I'm not going to go to the next one. I'm going to figure out how to get it open or where I want to go. And do you yeah. think, do you think your childhood and the, and the areas that you were forced into and just having to find a way for your guys to survive had anything to do with that tenacity as a sonographer? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think my whole life has been kind of a white whack-a-mole experience, you know, that you get, you get beat down and you look for another hole to pop in, you know, it's, so it's okay. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, you got to get character. Yeah. Whatever way you got to get through life. Exactly. Right. Building character. I like that. Well, and so from your clinical, then at some point you transitioned to having an educational program. I mean, as a, an instructor, yeah, I was working at the time I was working at, um, I started in Merced. I mean, that's where, that's where the, I started. I got a job there, worked at the hospital, uh, went through the x-ray program. I went, ended up going to the diagnostic center in Los Banos and right next door was um, the hospital. It was a small town, probably about 10,000 people. And I got hired um, out of the x-ray program there and so I was the only sonographer in the entire town for five years for the hospital and the diagnostic center um so I did thousands and thousands and thousands of ultrasound um and so that was great you know I wouldn't recommend that these days you know but that was really good went back to Merced um hospital worked there and the children's hospital needed, they had a, a satellite and they were from Fresno, which is an hour and a half away. They had a satellite in Merced and they wanted someone to do pediatric echo. So I had the opportunity to go to children's and, mm-hmm. and, and pick up, you know, the skills that I needed to, to do that in Merced for them. Um, and then they had an opening in, in, in Fresno at the children's hospital, but they, it was just part-time or per diem. And um, so they had an opening part-time in radiology for general ultrasound and uh, high-risk OB and in the echo department per diem. And so I said, well, I can, I need a full-time job. So I'm going to apply for both. So I did. And I worked for six months with, without any time off. And then I said, could you guys get together so we could have this full-time job, you know? So that's how I worked. I I worked there. Meanwhile, back in Merced, they had, 
we were, as a region, we didn't have any accredited schools. So they were going to start the first program in Central California at Merced College. And um, the person that put it together, I was just working, I was working as a sonographer. I, d- I didn't know her, but she developed the whole program and the proposed curriculum. Didn't have echo, but for the general program. Um, and where was she coming from? She, she was from Merced. I didn't really know her that well, but I had heard of her, but she put everything together and it was starting. And of course, all of us at the hospitals were, were very excited about that. And then to our surprise, I guess, one month before it was going to start, the students were already enrolled. She said, oh, I'm not going to teach it. I was just designing it. Oh, okay. So the director of radiology program goes, holy cow, you know, how, what are we going to do now? Who's going to, who in the world is going to, would, would teach this with a month notice and ask a few people. And most of them said, no, 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 no. And then they came to me and said a month, huh? And, you know, I said, I've never, I had a couple of private students, but I've never taught you know, um, but I said, well, you know, I, I, yeah, let's do this because we really need it, you know, and so we did. And so I taught there for 10 years, still worked at Children's Hospital. Um, and so that's how it started. Wow. That's, that's, I just feel like you're just one door opens for joy all the time here and like, the way that you're taking advantage of them is leading you on this awesome path of pretty much every role that you can do in sonography. And that reminds me of Joan Baker's story of being in Seattle when she had her kids. I said, so what did you do with your kids when you, you know, when you got called in? She's like, well, first of all, I was the only person there. So I got called in all the time and my kids would just come with me to the hospital. So did mine. So did mine. Yeah. I got you spend about a thousand dollars a day keeping them with donuts and everything and arcade and all of this. So you didn't make any money. It was just going right back out. You just take all three kids with you everywhere. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's like a mom, like a mom, like a business mom. That's so funny. So when did you first get involved with the SDMS? Well, I was a member for a bit. Um, I, yeah, I was, when I was in, in Fresno working now, uh, we, we had a case, um, we had a prenatal detection center within children's and there was, there just happened to be a case where it was a, a severe case of Epstein's, um, that we saw on the, on the OB ultrasound and fetal echo. And, um, we went to, we had a really good network where the, we had pediatric cardiologists and radiologists and, and the geneticist and anyway, they all came in to talk with this, this mom and, and told her the diagnosis. And she says, Oh no, no, you're wrong. She goes, I just had an ultrasound. My baby's totally normal. Oh, really? Well, you know, where did you have this? She goes, and I don't know what the name of it was, but for lack of a better word, it was one of the peekaboo baby things. And, and then the, the person, the sonographer had told her, Oh, your baby looks great. Hmm. And, you know, words that should never come out of someone's mouth if they're a business Especially with Right? And she's not even a medical person. No. So I was just livid. Yes. Livid. And, and so I called SDMS and I said, I want to be a part 
of STMS. And they said, well, we have all of these. I don't even remember who it was. Some just perfectly wonderful person on the other end of the phone was just like, well, we have all these committees. You can start with this. And I said, I want to be on the legislative arm of SDMS. I want to be on government relations. This is what I want. There's a reason I want to be on that. I, I'll do whatever it takes, but I want to be on that because I, I don't want this to continue to happen. And uh, I don't know, somehow that happened. Seeking you shall find, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, uh, you know, I, that, that was why how I got involved. I was a state rep for several years, and the regional director at the time was Joan Baker. Mm. Yeah, so she she's always been my person, you know, and uh, we got to go to Australia together to a people-to-people ambassador program, and uh, that was just fabulous. And, you know, so I, I've always liked us. I, I went to AIUM, you know, and, and I really liked the scientific content. Mm-hmm. When I first started going to STMS, I thought it was a – it was an organization that was built by sonographers for sonographers. And that was very evident when I got involved with the SDMS. So I was going to ask you what other opportunities were paved through your involvement with SDMS. What was there anything after that being part of SDMS led to different committees? Well, one of my favorite things of SDMS was that once I was able to get on the board was the um, liaison meetings where you could meet with other organizations uh, within the healthcare arena that had an interest in, in um, this, you know, sonography issues and that type of thing. And, and getting that interaction across uh, the, the table was fabulous. I really, really enjoyed that. And I, so I think the networking piece of it yeah. uh, was very important and to be able to learn from colleagues from around the nation and around the world. So, yeah. yeah. It's amazing when you get there, who you're surrounded by, like the, just the passion of everybody in the room and knowing that that's why they're there. They're not, it's not a, not everybody's making, you know, dollars being there. They're actually taking their time to contribute. Right. So I love that. Yeah. My clinical instructor taught me that well, when I got there, she's like, you will be a part of SCMS. That is part of the criteria. Well, of course, Lorinda is a big part of, of why I'm where I am too. She was a great mentor and I learned a lot from her. Well, Joan was the one that started (laughs) me on things, Uh, although I don't know if you've ever heard the story about uh, I, Andrea Skelly from Seattle U had nominated me to run for regional director. And when I got my ballot, because it was in the days of paper ballots, so you didn't know anything. And by snail mail, I opened my ballot and I'm running against Joan. (laughs) I told my husband, I don't want to vote for myself. I want to vote for Joan. (laughs) Exactly. And so Joan, of course, was elected and she appointed me as state rep for Oregon. I was going to say, at some point you obtained your PhD. Could you tell us about that decision and how has that impacted your career moving forward? Yeah, the reason I I wanted to seek a PhD is that I I love sonographer-led research. And the idea of being able to obtain a PhD, then you can be your own PI on your own research projects. And that was a very laser focus for me that I wanted to be able, if I have a clinical question, I want to exhaustively answer it. And I I would rather not have to wait for permission from an MD um, to be able to answer the question. And so... 
that was my, that was my focus. That's great. That's an amazing reason. That an amazing, another thing that I just feel like you're like, nope, I need the answer. I'm not going to wait for someone and go through all the steps to go there. Just get it myself type of attitude. I like that. It's trailblazing for sure. Absolutely. Go ahead. So I guess that leads into the profession of advanced practice, because obviously that is just what you and Jamie were discussing as far as the pathway of being able to have more autonomy. And so um, we know that you are starting a program and tell us more about how that has been happening. Okay. Um, Well, I think, I think the idea of advanced practice has been in play for couple decades, probably, probably even before I got involved in it. Um, But to me, there was two things that needed to happen before you could consider opening um, a program. And that was to have the accrediting body, to have a mechanism for programs to apply for accreditation and to have a certification. And when both of those two things happened, then who's going to teach it? You know, who's going to teach it? Well, when, in the first draft of the standards and guidelines, the um, requirements for the program director was either an MD or a PhD. Hmm. And they have since changed that with the adoption of uh, having the ACS credential, and, and they're starting to change that. Mm-hmm. But at the particular time, that was it. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it had been adopted in 2012, the standards mm-hmm. and guidelines, but they didn't have the credentials. So when that happened, I said, well, who's going to do this? Because most physicians, if they're going to teach, they're going to teach the fellows. Mm-hmm. And so we are hospitals affiliated with UCSF. Mm-hmm. The medical director of that uh, fellowship program is Dr. Teresa Dinelli, which is also the medical director of our Diagnostic Medical Sonography Program. She's absolutely fabulous. And she is poetry in motion when she works with the fellows as with our students, you know. And it was, my, my mom had passed away and I'd been thinking about this and it was, uh, it was on her birthday. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to my director and I'm going to go to Dr. Teresa Dinelli on the same day and it's my mom's birthday. And I said, I'm going to pitch the idea of us starting this advanced cardiac sonography program. And whatever the answer is at the end of the day, I'm going to be okay with it, you know, but I just had to have the guts to go ask. So I went to my director first and, you know, I'm already teaching four programs. So this, this conversation was going to be a little scary. Mm -hmm. And I said, this needs to be done. We have to take a hold of our own profession. We can't be looking to other professions to make our destiny. And we, you have to have these requirements to be able to do this. And we're in a perfect situation where we have a well-established medical school and we have a well-established diagnostic medical sonography program. And I feel this program would set very nicely between the two. I'm able and willing to do this. What do you think? And he says, uh, you know, we went through back and forth a little bit, but he says, are you sure you can do this? And I said, I'm positive I can do this because why? I'm not afraid to fail. I'm only afraid not to try. Oh, that's really good. And I said, so allow me this. And so he says, well, who's going to be the medical director? I said, I'll be back in a bit. 
So if you want to hold your just goes, okay, let's see what she says. So I, I went over there and I said, okay, sit down because this is, this is my vision. I think we can do this. You're the best thing. You're the best person for this. You provide fabulous oversight for the fellows and for our students. And what, what do you think about the concept of a mid-level provider to be an extender for what you do? She goes, oh, my word, how has this not happened before? She goes, yes, let's do it. <gasps> Great. And so I went back and I said, she said yes. And um, I developed the curriculum and I used the standard and guidelines as the curriculum. We started the first program in 2000 and it's, it's 16. We have a graduated class and we're on the second cohort right now and we're doing great. That's awesome. And now, Joy, for our audience, I want to back up just a little bit. You had referenced earlier the 2012 date um, mm-hmm. as far as sort of the starting point of the advanced practice. But I think there were things going on within the American Society of Echocardiography, both publishing their paper as well as connections with KHEP, getting things established for really defining those standards and guidelines. And were you part of those conversations or some of that... I was not. I was not a part of drafting the original standards and guidelines. Uh, the luminaries in our field, in the field of echocardiography. I mean, I, when I was involved with SDMS, like like we said, with that liaison meetings and stuff like that. I think the whole profession has been working on this for a long time, yes. and we all understood that those two components had to happen. Um, it was ASE that took the lead point. And, and having a task force, which I was not involved in the task force, to submit those original standards and guidelines to KHEP for their consideration. Um, and that was the you know, pivotal uh, manuscript that you alluded to uh, was first. And then I think the original task force moved forward with, with their idea of the standards and guidelines, which was adopted in uh, 2012. It was the original um, sponsor of that of the COA Commission on Accreditation for ACS was ASE, and then they um, and then they invited other organizations, and SDMS is now the other sponsor, and I am um, this SDMS liaison on that committee right now. And then obviously the other piece that was needed was the credential. And I know CCI stepped forward with providing that examination. Were you one of the candidates for the pilot testing at all? I was. We're wondering about vascular, of course, since that is something that CCI has their hand in as well, as far as what might facilitate that as being evolution. And then, of course, also uh, everybody's wondering about ARDMS as well uh, mm-hmm. for the non-cardiac vascular uh, certification exams as well for perhaps an advanced practice. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, as far as if you does your program involve vascular for the, uh, not for the advanced level, but do you teach vascular in your regular program? Yes, I do. And so I'm assuming that some of those uh, past graduates are hopeful that that might, next step might develop as well. Uh, yes, I, I was invited in the last SGMS by CPI to give a 
and at the luncheon, the topic was advanced practice. And in that, in that luncheon, I proposed that the vascular component is not a, a large stretch. Yeah. And our, our board currently is um, working on reaching out to the vascular professional organizations with the interest in that. Um, I have developed um, a toolkit for uh, potential educators for both vascular and for the ACS program. And that is currently on the COA ACS website. So if there's, if there's educational programs that would be interested, I've, I've opted up a potential template language for curriculum and all of that. But I think without buy-in of all the professional organizations, that's the first component. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, all the stakeholders are on board, but I think the interest is certainly there. Great. How much actual transducer time are you having right now? Are you having to be on the clinical side or are you? Are you um, yes, I, I actually worked full time clinically during the day. I teach the program on Tuesday and Thursday evenings. Um, but yeah, I, I work. I'm actually, my job description is advanced practice sonographer. Um, I provide clinical oversight of all the sonographers. Uh, I'm the technical director of the pediatric and fetal echo lab. And so that's most of the clinical part is that, uh, but I still, uh, I still do the other types of ultrasound on Thursdays. And then on Wednesday, I work um, for a perinatologist. But yeah, wow. I still do a lot of clinical work. Pretty much. Yeah, my next question is like, so Joy, what else can you do with your life? You've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got eight grandkids. Oh my so, goodness! How do you yeah. do all of that and have eight? Yeah, eight grandkids, and they they come over quite often, and they're amazing, and they they run me ragged. That's a lot harder than working. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I believe you. I just have two small boys, but I, I yeah. know that work is nothing. It's when I get off work, they're in the work room. Really yeah. yeah, there's yeah, there's seven. Seven of them are five and under. Oh, my goodness. I'm surprised they're not like behind you right now, bouncing. Doing, doing, doing. So. so, Joy, do you ever sleep? <laughs> you know, that's one good thing. I, I don't require a ton of sleep. So that's always been a plus. <laughs> do you have any words of wisdom out there for the students or um, soon-to-be sonography students considering this as their career and what would you have to say to them has been your high points and learning points? Well, I would say do your research. Do your research and make sure that the program that you're trying to apply for um, meets all the standards and guidelines to, to make sure that they will be successful, you know? And um, I am an advocate for either going through a bachelor program or to have a bachelor's degree before you get in, because I do think that advanced practice is on the horizon for everything. And I would hate to think that you you go through a whole program and then say, in order to get into that program, you have to have that. So sometimes I think it's good to put the, the work on the front side to where you've got all of that in place and all of the prerequisite coursework and your bachelor's degree and, and that type of thing. And then it's just a clinical pathway from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, I think that that would be my good advice is just to make sure that the, the program will help you to succeed. Sure. Yeah. Do your diligence. That's a good thing. Good tip for them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
So providing a tip for the generation that is approaching retirement, do you have any words of wisdom as far as what you believe should be the torch that is passed on to the generation coming behind those of us sitting on this call um, and see what's next for the future generations? Well, I think what should go forward is that um, we should all embrace technology. Uh, I think that, you know, machines are getting smaller, the, the memory is getting longer, uh, that um, we should embrace what the equipment vendors are producing and not be threatened by it and also not be threatened by point of care. Um, I think that everyone has their place. We should be the people that are helped to educate the, the end users or irrespective of, you know, what their role is. Um, so I think we should keep technology and keep an open mind as to who is using the song and not, not to be biased against that. So I think those are things we should, and we should keep going forward and, and embrace our own profession and not look to other professions to define our future. Do you think there's anything that should be, quote, discontinued out of our profession? Things that are sort of old technology that we cling to or old aspects of patient care that we're doing that maybe there's a better way to approach things? Oh, well, um, I think we've all pretty much ad adopted evidence-based practice um, that we shouldn't be doing practice just because someone said so, that we should use evidence in that regard. Um, I do think we should do away with programs. I'm not, I'm not KHEP centric. Okay. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's certainly voluntary to go for KHEP accreditation. And so I, I know I should say I'm KHEP centric, but I'm not, but I do believe in the standards and guidelines and that's for free on the internet. So I think programs should follow that standard and guideline um, and to have enough clinical uh, practice embedded within their programs so that their students have a chance of getting hired. And so I want to do away with, I'm not, I don't like the words accredited and non-accredited because there's all sorts of accreditation, regional, programmatic, and all of that. but I think there should be some formalized standards to where the students don't have to be, you know, Yoda to know what the difference between the different types of accreditation is, that they should understand that if they get into a sonography program, that they're going to have the formal and clinical provided for them to make them successful. So we need to do away with the other programs that are not doing that. Sure. That refuse to just at least hold the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you, you kind of been speaking to this this whole time, maybe inadvertently, but and I, the saying that that movie Joy reminded me of you is definitely on the positive side. Like, I feel like she's such a trailblazer, um, always never afraid to step up and say something, more afraid to lose by not trying. And what would you like to, your legacy looking years down the road when you're out of practice to be on the field? Well, in the field, I'd like to I'd like to feel that I made a real difference in uh, providing a path, a, a formal education pathway for advanced practice, and also um, providing a mechanism to embrace sonography led research. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's a part that's not I feel like ta not talked about enough either. Are you doing anything to facilitate mm -hmm. the progression of sonography students pr uh, pursuing research? Um, 
Well, yes. In the, in the in the advanced practice curriculum, it should they take that pathway. There's uh, research in biostatistics. There's IRB preparedness. You know, so they know they learn how to do that. Uh, when I was involved with SDMS, we had a sonography research in, initiative where we would we would partner mentors with uh, young investigators, and we ended up having with that process. We had um, I think seven or eight published. Uh, new investigator research projects uh, within the DMS program. We have them do lit reviews and that type of thing. So, you know, I think I think that uh, it's it, anything's possible. If you have a question, you need it answered, then you need to take the steps to be able to answer it. You know, yeah, not just be looking up in the sky for the answer, but go do your digging. Yep would have been one of your most uh, proud accomplishments on the world, just as Joy Guthrie, not the sonographer. I have a good heart. I put the needs of others before myself. That's in a nutshell. That's great. I don't think there's anything much higher to atone to. (laughs) What would you like to see down the road for your program once, like once it continues on view? I know we talked a little bit about different other things like vascular and coming into the advanced practice, but your specific program, is there ways in you're hoping to watch it develop? Well, I, I, I think that um, I like hospital-based programs. So now I've got to teach on both sides. And I like the fact that the kids are immersed in the hospital from day one. And so um, we've implemented a few things where we have this place where I work called the Bat Cave. You know, it's got a bunch of computers and and that's where we do all of our prelim reports and things like that. But I'm assigning them hours in there. It's where they have to, we have the lunch and learns that we do. And we have the folders of that. And so they have to go in in each area and, uh, you know, they have to look at those cases and say, what do you think it is? And then they compare that with their um, with the final report. And so I'm trying to get them in the more the interpretive side early on in their practice in all of the different areas. Um, so in, I, in having a PDECO program has been really nice as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the general, I don't know. I think the students are smart. They're a lot smarter than I was by a long shot. <laughs> They are. I think if we guide them and, you know, just teach them to do the right thing for the right reasons. And, you know, every day that you're at work, you know, you're on the right side of the bed, you're doing better than the person you're working on. So, you know, uh, just to keep that focus and uh, encourage them and, um, you know, tell them to leave their ego at the door. And, uh, and they're very smart and I'm very proud of all of them. So, uh, you know, there's not much I can do. They're They're the stars. Well, Joy, thank you so much for visiting with us today. I hope that we get to catch up more maybe at SDMS this year on on more of a personal side, not just on the interview, but we really appreciate your time. And I appreciate the heart that you have in your contribution to the field and, and in the world. Please don't miss episode number 10, where we have a conversation with Dr. Phil Bendick. Dr. Phil Bendick has his bachelor's and master's from MIT and PhD from Stanford University. He gave a lecture on bioeffects at the last SDMS conference that um, really woke me up uh, about the conversation around bioeffects and what we're doing in our everyday exams. So don't miss our conversation with him. He has so much information and history to give. He's had so many titles that I can't say it in this short bit. So uh, don't miss episode 10 with Dr. Phil Bendick. And until then, take care. 